I was actually brought into the prosperity gospel at a really young age. Funny thing is, I didn't know that's what it was. It was very normal for me. Um, I went to a church who did a lot of declaring and decreeing and sowing seeds and um, teaching you how to speak things into existence and um, you know naming it and claiming it, manifestation. I, that was normal to me when I was a child. Uh, we would we would read off of a declaration every Sunday and you know speak uh, envelopes in the mail and gifts and bonuses and raises and promotions and all this stuff. And I thought that was normal. I thought that was, you know, the ultimate goal in life was to start um, reaching a certain level of status or to be achieving stuff. And God wanted that for us. Um, I thought that was his will. And that's what we were supposed to do. We were supposed to tithe and, um, you know, give. And then God would in return bless us for our obedience. The prosperity gospel really taught me or tried to teach me at least that it was in God's will for me to always have good health, finances, the desires of my heart, um, to not experience tribulation. The prosperity gospel literally emphasized that if I was sick or if someone is sick, that's not in God's will and you are outside of God's will and maybe you don't have enough faith to get healed. Getting fed scripture that wasn't in context, it was really detrimental to what I believe. It, it was really, it, it left me feeling extremely broken when my level of faith didn't match up to what other people were saying that it should. It wasn't a healthy situation um, doing these things and not reaping the benefit of what they promised or said that God you know, promised, because that's what I was taught. A big part that really impacted me um, throughout my journey, I guess, with the prosperity gospel was when I believed for something extremely specific and I wanted healing in a specific area. And this was in the area of my marriage. I believe God, you know, to be able to heal my marriage. And I thought that if I fasted enough, if I prayed enough, if I did, you know, X, Y, Z enough, if I came to church, if I sold, if I abstained, if I did these things, I thought that the promise would be God healing my marriage. And I mean, they told me, you know, the Bible says that God hates divorce. So if you get divorced, it's not because of God, obviously, it's because of your level of faith. You didn't believe enough for God to heal, you know, X, Y, Z. And when I did believe enough and God still allowed me to be divorced, that shook me. I'm doing all these things for what? Why am I trying to maintain this level of perfection and have this heightened level of faith? I'm tithing, I'm literally doing everything and it's still not working. Nothing that, you know, I was taught to do worked. It just didn't. After God, uh, after not seeing God heal a specific area that I thought I was doing everything right in order for him to heal, I was literally, I felt stuck. It literally broke me to where I was back at ground zero. I was, it was just empty playing field at that point. And it was time for me to relearn a lot of stuff. 
So that actually birthed a desire in me to learn more about the word of God, to get into my word, to do research. And that's when I opened, you know, doors to learning about new age, learning about word of faith movement, all these things. And when I learned about that stuff, it revealed to me that I was actually believing the prosperity gospel, even though I didn't know that's exactly what it was. I thought it was just normal. I was believing a lot of the stuff the prosperity gospel preached, which is also why I wasn't truly experiencing God the way I wanted to. When I started coming to uh, North Phoenix, I noticed immediately that it was different than what I was used to. Um, Pastor Noe was not preaching the way I was used to. And they were sticking to one book in the Bible. That was really, really different for me. I'm so used to, you know, 12 different sermon series throughout the year versus going through one book. And I didn't understand that. I didn't understand why Pastor Noe wasn't telling me to have a heightened level of faith or to believe enough or to sow a seed or, you know, I didn't understand why people weren't at the altar the way I love to be at the altar. I just didn't understand why, you know, things were so different. But at the same time, I knew God was telling me to stay here. And that's the part that I, I'm very grateful for, because even though I didn't understand, I knew it was something about being in the Word of God the way Pastor Noe taught the Word of God was missing from my life. He teaches the way that we need to be taught as far as learning the Word of God for ourselves. We need to know the Word of God for ourselves, and we need to know what it actually says in context. When you know what the Word of God says in context, you actually begin to understand who God is versus thinking that God is, getting close to God is a means for gain. That's not that's not true. We don't go to God as if he's a genie for us. God is not a genie. He's our savior. He's our father. And that's, I feel like being at North Phoenix is what Pastor Noe has helped me walk into. The prosperity gospel and the abundance doctrine taught me that, you know, everything was about me. It was me-centered, me-focused. It was what I wanted, what I desired, and what I wanted in life. But the true gospel is Christ. It's Him and Him crucified, and it's life abundant in Him. That's the true gospel, Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we, we plead with you this morning that there's this theological false demonic stream that has taken over our culture. This prosperity mentality. God, I just pray that for anyone in this room uh, that may struggle with this or already struggling with what they've heard in the video, God, would you allow them to be in a place where they can hear you, Father, and receive what you were trying to speak into their lives. And I pray that you are, and your voice is evident this morning. We pray for you to clear the minds and clear the hearts, clear the ears. Let him who has ears, let him hear, Father, as your word says. And Lord, we love you. We, we love you for giving us your word to direct us and guide us in life. We thank you for the Holy Spirit and the discernment that he gives us 
to what's true and what's false. I pray this morning that you were able to break free those who, that are in bondage to this false doctrine. Give them freedom. Expose it, reveal it, the lies of the enemy. And remind us that Jesus and Jesus alone is the only anchor of hope that we have. There is no substitute for Jesus. There's not enough materials. There's not enough riches to substitute Jesus Christ in our lives. God, remind us that as believers and followers of Jesus, that even if you do not fulfill our dreams or give us the desires of our heart, that you are still God and you are still good. You are still sovereign. You are still on the throne and you and you alone are worthy to be praised. Teach us how to praise you in the valleys. Teach us how to praise you in the valleys, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, this morning, as you can tell, um, I want to speak to a theological stream in our culture that's been around for quite some time. Uh, for some, no doubt, it's going to make you uncomfortable. And I pray it's the Holy Spirit revealing what's in you. And, and, and I, I remember Khadidra came to me after a service and she said, thank you for preaching the Bible. It has freed me up from this false doctrine. Thank you. That's probably one of the greatest moments of my ministry career thus far of hearing someone say, thank you for teaching the Bible. And it's interesting, as you heard her say, uh, that when she got here, I think when she arrived, we were going to the book of Romans for an entire year. And she probably saw that as boring. You know there's a demonic stronghold on your life when you look at the parsing of the word of God as boring if you do not think that it enhances your life personally. There's this theological stream of the prosperity gospel and I wanna to speak to that, but I also wanna be very careful today uh, because there's also a theological stream called the poverty gospel. And let me tell you the difference this morning. The poverty gospel says, if you love God, you will get rid of all your riches. The prosperity gospel says, if God loves you, he will give you riches. There's a dangerous extreme on both sides. Now here's the danger is that many of us, and I know this to be true, uh, many of us uh, probably have a social media or TV theology. There are many great communicators out there that are celebrity pastors, and I'm not saying all are bad, but some are not biblically sound. It's incredibly dangerous. And, and many which you will see if you're not careful, you will substitute content for charisma. You will believe that because a, a pastor is a great communicator and what he is saying is, is really stirring your emotions and he's inspiring. And, and what I'm going to tell you is you have to be careful that just because somebody is charismatic doesn't mean they're sharing the right content. And so when you guys are listening to these theological streams, I want to today, this is going to be a different Sunday if you're a visitor. Typically, I'm incredibly passionate. I'm dissecting the word and I'm preaching. Today, as your shepherd, it is my desperate plea to expose this false doctrine that I believe is fully demonic. And so I believe, I've heard a phrase, I think it's true, that many of us, if you peel back the layers of our souls, you will recognize that many of us have a little prosperity gospel in us. And the reason being is because none of us want to believe that following Jesus means that we're going to have a life filled with hardship. And if you peel back the layers, 
we probably would not say, hey, Christians in scriptures were beheaded and crucified and persecuted. Yeah, give me some of that. Probably not. In fact, we are probably saying, Jesus, please send me a spouse. I don't want to be single anymore. God, please expand my career and my influence. God, please give me a platform. God, please, and it'll go on and on and on. And let me just tell you, nothing is wrong, inherently wrong, of asking God for that. I want to be very clear. I'm not saying just live a discouraging and depressed life. That's not what I'm saying. But in order for us to clearly understand who Christ is, and I love what Khadidra said, is that she understands that Jesus is her Savior. See, the problem with American Christianity today, if we're not careful as Christians, we can be found, and I say this all the time, the prosperity gospel teaches you to chase what's in God's hand. The true gospel teaches you to, to chase what's in God's heart. There's a big difference there. The prosperity gospel teaches you to chase what's in God's hand. What does God have to offer? How will God make my life better? How will God enhance me? How will God bless me? What is God going to do for me? But the true gospel teaches us to chase what is in the heart of God. Who is God? Who are you, Father? Who are you, Creator? Who are you, Savior? Who are you? Now, so... Here are some, some, I'm going to just expose and open this up just for a minute on prosperity gospel theology. But before I do, I want to read a quick quote that I love what John Piper says about this. Listen, if God's love for his children is to be measured by our health, wealth, and comfort in this life, then he hated the Apostle Paul. a man who wrote most of the New Testament, a man who faced a lot of persecution, who was unbelievably faithful. I love that Piper puts it this way. If the prosperity gospel is saying God loves you if you get health, wealth, and comfort, then he hated just about every biblical character, right? That's why it's so wrong and so false. And here's the theological stream and framework of the prosperity gospel Theology, number one, God wants you to have health, wealth, and comfort. This is the overall teaching that God's desire for you is a better life now. The prosperity gospel will have you focus on blessings here on earth. The true gospel will have you focus on eternity. There's a big difference there. And so the prosperity gospel is saying, listen, if you follow Jesus, if you follow God, he wants to give you riches. He, he, he wants to, to, to be sure you're not sick and you're incredibly healthy. He wants your life to be unbelievably comfortable. There is a huge problem biblically with this. There's a huge problem in our world today. There are over 340 Christians being persecuted for their faith today around the world. For saying yes to missions. They're being persecuted. Does God not love them? There's also a problem because God in the flesh, Jesus, incarnation, walking this earth, was unbelievably, materialistically broke. He was broke. He was problem. 
So what the prosperity gospel theology says, God wants you to have health, wealth, and comfort. And following Jesus is the way to getting health, wealth, and comfort. And riches are a sign that God loves you. And God doesn't want, you may have heard this, where we are children of the king, and children of the king aren't broke. He wants us to have riches. False demonic theology. That is horribly false, but the, this is the teaching that is out there with this theological stream. Th then it says this, if you believe it, declare it, and you will have it. If you believe it and declare it, if you ever hear someone begin to claim things that are not yet there, God, in the name of Jesus, I claim this, 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 and this. That is demonic, it is unbiblical. The only one that has the power to speak something into existence that is not already there is God and God himself. Romans chapter four, verse 14 says, only God has the power to speak something into existence that's not already there. I'll prove it to you. In Genesis chapter one, nothing was there who spoke creation into existence. When God spoke, something happened. Bad news, you don't have that kind of power. And you can say in this seat right now, I know spiritually what's going on in your seat. I don't receive it, pastor. I reject it. Don't speak that into my life. You don't get to choose what you receive and reject. God, the sovereign father, chooses all of that. You don't have that kind of power. And so when you start hearing people, all you got to do is declare it. All you got to do is call it. All you got to do is say it. And if you pray harder, and if you pray louder, and if you pray with more aggression, then it'll happen. Not true. You cannot manipulate God. And then there's this framework of, of listen, uh, God is only real in your life if you come to a service and you cry or you feel an emotion or something happens and you get goosebumps, then he's here. We don't invite his presence here. You understand that as believers, scripture tells us that he resides in us. He's already here. You don't have to invite him into this place. Will you come join us today? Scripture says he has given us the Holy Spirit as a seal of adoption. He's already in us. He's here. So you have to be careful because emotionalism takes over and we think goosebumps means that was the Holy Spirit. Danger because um, here's a dangerous part about that is that your emotions become the indicator whether or not God is moving in your life. So your emotions become an idol in your life to determine whether or not God is moving. The problem is, Jeremiah says, your heart is deceitful above all things. How many of you know we are crazy emotionally bipolar? You cannot trust yourself. Husbands, no, I ain't going there right now. I ain't going there. I ain't touching that. But how do you know? Like, we're jacked up. You ever got a text message and like you, you, you share your heart with somebody and they give you like just a like button back on your text? Like what is that supposed to mean? <laughs> got it. What you mean got it? Thumbs up. What do you mean thumbs up? That's why I don't like that person. You know, and we're just so jacked up. Go ahead. Trust your goosebumps. You see what I'm saying? Dangerous. Praise God. That our unstable emotions are not a dictator based off his movement. Praise God. That he is faithful is what scripture says even when we are unfaithful. Praise God. 
praise God that when you are caught up in this false gospel today and you are saying, I'm going to declare it, I'm going to believe it, I'm going to reject it, praise God he still loves you and he is pursuing you enough to expose the false things you are thinking today. Praise God he loves you. Praise God you feel uncomfortable right now. Because, because the true word of God is offensive. The word of God is like this. Um, you ever looked in the mirror and be like, how in the world did that get there? Why didn't anybody tell me that was there? I'll never forget the first time um, I noticed I was balding was here as a pastor. And what happened was the cameraman didn't switch over quick enough. And I looked back to read, right, just like this. And I was like, oh my gosh, why didn't anybody tell me this was happening? Now, either the camera was lying or I'm really going bald. Listen, when you read scripture and it exposes the illness in our souls, it's offensive. Either scripture is like a mirror in a camera and it's telling the truth or scripture is lying. And it exposes these ugly things that we have believe because we want to believe. We, we want to have a better life. We, we want to think that things are going to get better. And, and what you're going to see at this prosperity gospel and these pastors that you, we probably love to listen to are these key, key phrases. I don't know if you ever heard someone. I have someone in my life who has said this for the last 18 years. This is my year. Things are going to get better. You ever had anybody declare, this is my year. And I know someone like 18 years has gone by and like, I want you to have a good life, but I just... You don't have the power to declare what kind of year you're going to have. If you ever hear a pastor from this pulpit or any other pulpit that you listen to tell a blanket statement like this to an audience of, this is your year, all you have to do is claim it, run, run. If it comes out of this church, run the other direction, run. Because what's going to happen and a blanket statement like that is some people walk out and get a diagnosis of, with cancer that they did not want to receive. However, God knew it was coming. And they're wondering, I thought you, this was my year. Why don't you love me? It's dangerous to grab on to these blanket statements that are nowhere found in Scripture. You look at every single Bible character. Whoever had a good year? This is my year. David, bro, you killed someone this year. <laughs> this is my year. David, you had adultery, man. You said this last year. This is my year. Listen, we are broken, deprived human beings who are in desperate need of a savior and, and, and not, not his hand and his gifts, but man, him, his heart. I wish this was, this was my year, but Father, I sinned again. I wish this was my year, but COVID hit and I got fired. I wish this was my year, but... See, if you believe that this is your year and those things happen, what the prosperity gospel will tell you, well, it's because you don't have enough faith. Oh, so now it's reverse legalism. If you have enough faith, then God will give you what you want. So now God's love to you is based off of your faith for him. So now this is works-based faith. And some of you are like, I reject it. Reject it. Do what you want. You are not the author of your own life. He is the author. And he would do as he pleases. 
This is uncomfortable. Good. Then this one. <laughs> Sowing seeds. I'm about to expose this horrible phrase. People believe if you sow a seed of faith or sow a financial seed, God will shake it up, press it down, and return it back to you tenfold. Really? R- really? So, so, number one, when you're going to hear these phrases of sowing seeds, as if God can be manipulated and say, if I do this, well, then do this in return. He's not a very good God if he can be that easily manipulated. And then you'll hear this phrase. Your harvest time is coming. It's your time of harvest. Here's the problem. Seeds and harvest are talking about kingdom heavenly expansion in scripture, not earthly personal expansion. When you look throughout scripture, I dare you, I plead with you, I beg you, if you enjoy these phrases and it's making you uncomfortable right now, please, I beg you, dig the scripture and you will see parable of the sower. The sower is Jesus. The seed is the gospel message. The soil is the heart. When did this become about financial gain? The harvest is talking about the kingdom expansion and what's going on in the kingdom. So when people talk about sowing a seed so that when you sow a seed, God will bless your life. Or when people talk about your time or your year is coming or your harvest time because you have been faithful. I will urge you and plead with you. Unfollow them. Run for the, uh, the, the woods. Run from it. It's demonic. And it's not true. So many of you in this room, and as a pastor, I have sat next to people on their deathbed with cancer who have been so unbelievably faithful, and we prayed, and we laid hands, and we did all kinds of stuff, and God still took them. Well, maybe you didn't pray hard enough, pastor. Or, or maybe Genesis chapter 3 is, is real and it's true. Maybe that when sin entered the world, it messed up everything, including the way our bodies were going to function, including the way we, we were coming together with, with just the things that God has created. And because of that, sickness is a reality. Death is a reality because of sin. It's an unfortunate reality, but that would be horrible news if that's where it stopped. And that's why the gospel of Jesus Christ is the greatest news. See, this false gospel of prosperity says, I'm going to tell you what you can gain here on earth. And it never works, by the way. But the true gospel of Jesus Christ says, listen, no matter what's going on here on earth, praise God, you have a Savior who came, lived this earth, never sinned, died on the cross, then defeated death, so that one day you can be saved from your sins, the penalty of sin, and spend eternity with him. Praise God. That's a huge difference there. So the, these phrases, it's, it's, it's going to get better, is another phrase I absolutely despise because when you tell people in a blanket statement, hey, how many of you know it's going to get better? Or you hear a preacher or anybody that you've heard listening telling you it's going to get better. They do not know that about your life. Do you understand? I know it feels good to your emotions. This is even the song we just sang. I love it, by the way, Waymaker. Even when I don't see you, you're working. If you're not careful, theologically, the way you can look at that song is say this. My life stinks, but I know it's going to get better. My life stinks, but I know that rage is coming. My life stinks. You cannot declare that and sing it that way. Because it may not be true. I mean, my wife's father was dying of cancer. 
I remember we prayed and we fasted and we begged God and we plead with God and he died of cancer. And then someone had the audacity who was theologically ignorant to tell my wife the reason why your father was not healed is because you didn't pray hard enough. Since when did humanity become the author of human life? This is why this is dangerous. Now, hear me clearly. If anyone close to me, or if you come to me and say, I have a sickness, would you pray for me? I am begging God on your behalf, trust me. But I also understand that if he doesn't come through, he is still God and he is still good. I, I trust in his sovereignty. And, and, and so this is why this, it's going to get better. It may not. Let me just tell you straight up in this room today. If you were raised without a father or you have a broken relationship or maybe you were in a divorce or maybe you're, there's a strained something, let, let me, it's going to break your heart. That relationship may never be reconciled here on earth. Like, strive for it, please. I don't know where my father is today, but I'd love to have a relationship with him one day. But if it doesn't happen, it's not because I didn't have enough faith. God desires reconciliation, but because of the sinful world we live in today, not all relationships will be reconciled. Do you understand that? Now, there's a biblical mandate for us as far as it depends on us is what Scripture says. Make every attempt to reconcile relationships. Very biblical, very sound. But if the person on the other side doesn't receive, how are you supposed to reconcile something? So I just let me free you up. You're not doing something wrong if you have a broken relationship, if you're trying biblically. So it's going to get better? I don't know. I can't promise you that. Believe it and it will happen. Another one. Key verses. I'll just throw a couple out there. John 10.10. 10. This is why in the context is so important. One of the prosperity gospel phrases will say this. Hey, God wants you to have an abundant life. He came to give you life and life abundantly. You heard that scripture? Prosperity preachers, prosperity theology says this. See, there it is. He wants to give you life and life abundantly. The abundant portion means that God wants you to have a bunch of stuff. Here's the problem. When you actually go back to the original Greek and dissect this word abundantly, what it means is that for the believer in Jesus Christ who is following Jesus, you will be fully content because he is enough. These prosperity preachers aren't going deep enough. So when you dissect the scripture, you're probably thinking, wait, I've always heard that scripture and I've been confused by it. Let me free you up today. What this scripture is saying is this. Jesus came to give you life and life abundantly. Came to give you true life for those who are dead in your trespasses and life abundantly means that you will recognize and your eyes will open up as a follower of Jesus Christ that you no longer need to chase his hand because his heart is enough. There's true contentment. John 10.10 10, in its context. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know that I know that I know y'all got some coffee mugs in your house with this passage. <laughs> or when somebody graduates, like Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declare the Lord plans to prosper you, not to harm you. That's not of God. Yeah. If you look at this text in its context, listen to this. Jeremiah is writing from Jerusalem to, to the Jews in Babylon. The Jews in Babylon are experiencing God's judgment because of the disobedience. So they are under extreme persecution. 
when you open up chapter 29 before you get to chapter, uh, verse 11, you open it up and here's what he's saying. Hey, listen, God sees your suffering, but get comfortable, you're gonna be here for a while. Can you imagine somebody coming up to you because they know you're a Christian and, and they're like, hey, I, I'm dealing with anxiety and depression, what do I do? And you hand them like Jeremiah 29, verse five, get comfortable, you're gonna be here for a while. That's not as appealing, is it? And then he says, after 70 years of this kind of suffering. In its context, it's a whole different story. But with prosperity gospel, people will tell you, just take this verse and apply it to every hardship you have and you'll have hope. Really? Is that really going to happen? Is that really true for everybody in this room? I can't tell you that it is. There are no guarantees what will happen to us when we walk out those doors. The danger of the prosperity gospel. It's a, and I'm gonna run through this and I'll be done. It's a me-centered theology. Um, Here's the danger of the prosperity gospel. You look at these scriptures as if they were specifically just for you. You take them out of their context without leaving them in their context so you can see the heart of God. And you probably um, will wrestle with jumping just from these Jeremiah 29, 11, Philippians 4, 13. You only go to the scriptures that seem like they benefit and add value to your life. All the other scriptures, you throw them out. Let's get real. Who wants to read Leviticus and Numbers? Like, we probably, someone raised their hand. <laughs> You're probably the only one in here, sir. I love you, but. I mean, it's, it's the prosperity gospel will, will tell you that just go to the key verses that looks like it adds value to your life. It brings a distorted view of suffering. Here's why. The prosperity gospel tells you this. If you are suffering, one or two things are gonna happen. Get ready because that means God's had something great for you in your life. You ever heard that? Oh, you're having a tough time in life? Get ready, because that means God's about to bless you. What, what happens if cancer just takes its toll and you're feeding people this false stuff? And now they're sitting here wondering if God even loves them because they were fed this entire time and it seemed to work for everybody else. What's really dangerous is when gifted ministers speak like this, and God is really using them maybe because of their giftings or their giftings are giving them a crowd and they speak this way, the crowd is more likely to think that it's real because of the, because of the uh, fans their giftings are accumulating. That's why it's so dangerous. It's so hard to detect. It's so hard. And I urge you and I plead with you to, to know that this me-centered theology that while this is the living word of God and it's great and it's fantastic and it's saving and it's sustaining, um, understand that this me-centered theology, Philippians 4.13 or Romans uh, 8, um, I don't know if you ever used this scripture in your life, um, when something hard goes on, people say, hey, you know, God works all things for good. Now, the earthly mentality is this. God's gonna take everything you've gone through and you're gonna be somebody great. The biblical perspective is this. God's going to take everything you've gone through in Romans 8 and the all things for good means he's going to use it to mold you into the likeness and image of his son. On earth, on earth, it's on earth prosperity. People will tell you this, everything you've been through, get ready because your time of harvest is about to come. He's about to use you in a mighty big way. Who doesn't want to hear that? Who would want to hear like, hey, get ready. It's about to suck this year for you. I mean, these are dangerous, dangerous theological streams. 
And it distorts your view on suffering because you think if you're suffering as if God is, is an employer and you're the employee, if you're suffering, then you're about to earn a bunch of compensation. I don't know about you, church, but I have been through a lot of suffering and I've looked at my spiritual bank account and it's still empty. <laughs> and financial ones. <laughs> this distorted view of suffering, it's either God is about to compensate you for your suffering, which he can if he chooses to. And then it's, or God is so mad at you that he's punishing you and you're going through suffering. And you don't know what you're doing wrong. And you think God hates you. There's a, the danger of this is a distorted view of humanity. And here's what I mean. If you believe in the prosperity gospel, uh, you probably look at human beings as a means to your gain. Can this person add any benefit and value to my life of getting me where I'm trying to get? And if they don't add any value or benefit to my life, then they are a barrier and they're in opposition and a threat to what God has planned for me. See, here's the thing. No one, according to the book of Job, can thwart the plans of God. The prosperity gospel tells you, surround yourselves with those that will benefit you in a mighty way and, get, and reject those children made in the image of God who are barriers to you. That is so anti-gospel because the gospel I read says if someone slaps you in the cheek, turn the other cheek. Wash their feet. Go with them an extra mile. It's anti-gospel. But this distorted view is, is a distorted view of humanity saying I'm only going to surround myself with people who will benefit me. And then here's the thing about the danger of the prosperity gospel. It will limit your obedience to Jesus. I will follow you. You are enough. You are a way maker only if the way that you make benefits my life here on earth. What happens, church, if you're sitting here thinking that you have this planned and you have a house and you're going to have a bunch of money and, and you're not going to be single forever. And what happens if this is what you have planned and you've been writing your own story and people are surrounding you telling you how you're so gifted and you're so great and God's going to use you and great things are coming. And then when you're walking with God and you're having an intimate moment with God and God says, my child, I want you to get rid of everything and go serve in the third world country and tell them about me. You probably wouldn't do it because obedience would look like a step backwards to you. It limits your obedience. How, how far are you willing to follow Christ? Are you only willing to follow Jesus if it enhances your personal life here on earth? See, the prosperity gospel is like, hey, don't, don't, don't be obedient if it makes you go backwards. Don't do it. Don't do it. Just keep going forward. If that, that's not the voice of God. God's not telling you to be a missionary because it doesn't enhance your personal life. That couldn't be God. That's Satan. Don't listen to it. That's crazy. But people function that way. That God wants this better life for you. It's a false anchor of hope. Here's why. Here's the prosperity gospel tells you. If you're in this room today, okay, let me speak to all of you as a church. If you're in this room and you're going through tough things and you're saying life is going to get better. I listen to preachers who tell me that um, it's going to get better. Let me tell you what becomes this false anchor of hope. Um, circumstances become your anchor of hope. And let me just tell you, you cannot control circumstances and the gospel and who Jesus is becomes a side dish and a side note. And you are so focused on life here on earth getting better. But if it doesn't get better, you will question God's love for you. 
I'm closing, but why am I so passionate about this? You know, I believe that God is more concerned with your eternal position than your earthly position. I, I believe that God in heaven, the creator of the universe, and, and you can receive it or reject it if you want to, I believe that he is way more concerned about your earthly, uh, your, your heavenly position than your earthly position. He cares about your soul and what's going to happen to your soul. When I first became a Christian, you know, I, did, I, I didn't come from much. And so um, no doubt I wanted a better life. And I started going to this church that, um, that began to tell me to sow financial seeds. And they would say, um, if you want God to work a miracle in your life, you have to give financially. And so I'll never forget, it was a Friday, and he started telling everybody, hey, give to the church. You got to give. You want God to bless you. You got to give. You got to give. You got to give. And I left that Friday thinking, oh, gosh, I didn't give. I'm broke as a joke. Like, all I have is $500 from waiting tables, and I was waiting tables like 70, 80 hours a week, and I didn't have a bank account because I didn't know how to set one up. I, I was a new Christian. I didn't know what to do. I was really living by myself, kind of, and I had a shoebox with a, like $501 bills for my tips. And I'll never forget, I get to my grandmother's house. I was living with her, and I, I just kind of go to the shoebox, and I pick up the money. Like, it's a lot of money. It's like, but, 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 but sow a seed, right? Because, because sow a seed that the pastor's telling me, you sow 500, God will return you'll tenfold. You'll get 5,000 back. It's like, that's a great stock investment. <laughs> this is awesome. And so I'm like, I came back the following Sunday. Pastor, here's all my ones, here is everything. Here's my financial seed of faith. And then I left, man, and then like I was unbelievably lonely. I didn't have any friends. Things weren't going well for me. I was discouraged. I was, all kinds of stuff was happening. And I was so frustrated because it wasn't working for me. And to be honest, like everybody else in the church seemed broke too, if I'm being honest. The only one who really had anything was the pastor. $10,000 suits, brand new Mercedes, and my car didn't even have AC. And listen, I believe in tithing and I do all of that, but, but man, I, as I look back, I start thinking, what happened, God? Do you, do you hate me? It didn't work for me. Man, I was so angry and I was so frustrated. It's like, I'm trying, I'm doing everything he is telling me. I'm declaring it and I'm speaking it and I'm doing all of this, but it's not working. Why don't you love me, God? And I began to dig in scripture for myself. And man, he freed me up. And I began to read scripture like John 16, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart for I've overcome the world. And I thought, okay, crud. He's saying it's going to get hard. And then 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, those who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Like, oh gosh, that's not what I've been hearing. So either he's lying or this is lying. But I remember finally when I broke out of that false stuff, man, I was so free. I was so free to have a father because of Jesus who died for me on the cross. And it was almost like, let me paraphrase, like, Noe, listen. You can't give enough to earn my love. You can't speak it 
enough to earn my love. You can't fast enough to earn my love. You can't pray enough to earn my love. You can't give enough. There are not enough seeds to sow to earn my love. I have proven my love for you by sending my son on the cross to die for you. And son, my love is never leaving you. I am not like the people that have walked out on you. My love is never leaving you. It will never leave you. It will never forsake you. When you fall into sin, I'm not going anywhere. When you doubt me, I'm not going anywhere. When you believe this false doctrine, I'm not going anywhere. When you are mad at me because it's not working, I'm not going anymore. When you are struggling with sin and you think I don't love you, I'm not going anywhere. When you lose a loved one and you're angry, I'm not going anywhere. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm not going anywhere. Church, great news this morning. You can't do enough to earn his love. You can't be bad enough today to be negated from his love. Because scripture tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know what that means? Let me offend some of you. All of us are sinners. All of us are broken. All of us are jacked up. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. The only difference in this room today are those who are forgiven but still sinners and those who are unforgiven sinners. And the mediator is Jesus. The mediator is Jesus. This morning, if you have been following this false gospel, let me just tell you, it is not true. It is not real. It is demonic. Be freed. Be freed. If you're here, here's what I want to encourage you to do. May just place your faith in Jesus. Place your faith in Jesus. Say, Jesus, I, I don't have what I want. Jesus, life is not great. Jesus, maybe life is great. And here's the thing, if you're in here today and life is great and you don't have Jesus, life isn't great. You get it. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. He loves you, church. He loves you. For those and for you that are in this room today and that have never surrendered life to Jesus, let me just tell you, he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And it's not by accident that you're here this morning. He cared so much for you that he brought you here because he loves you. And all across this room, listen, it is by faith that you were saved, by faith in Jesus, by faith in Jesus, not just a prayer or not just a raising hand, it is by faith in Jesus. If you want to place your faith in Jesus to say, I know I'm a sinner, I'm broken, I'm not perfect, 
But if it is true, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, then I want the gift of God. I don't want death, I want the gift of God. If that is you in this room, I just want you to raise your hand. Say, I've never surrendered, I surrender. That is me in this room today. If the wages of sin is death, all across this place, all across this place, just raise your hand where I can see. I'm scanning the room all across this place. Amen, amen. There's a whole bunch of you over here. Amen, amen, amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? All across this room. All across this room. We're going to have pastors up at the front. And I just want you all to come. Listen, if that is you, if you need prayer, if you've been following this false doctrine, know that he loves you. He wants you. If you were here this morning and you were saying, listen, I want to fully surrender to Jesus. These pastors that are going to be up front, they may look pretty, but they're jacked up too. And they get it. And I don't say that to be demeaning. I just want you to know they're not perfect. They get it. They've been where you're at. And the reason why it's so important for you to raise your hand to give your life to Jesus, which were a lot of you, here's why it's so important. Uh, The act of walking down is not going to save you. Faith in Jesus and Jesus alone will. But I will tell you this, you will never forget the moment that you stood up and walked for Jesus. I promise you that. If it's real, you will never forget the moment you stood up and walked for Jesus. If you were here and you've been believing the prosperity stuff and, and maybe I started off the sermon and you got angry with me and by the end you're like, oh gosh, oh gosh, what do I do? You thank God for showing you. You thank God for showing you. Father, would you give those strength? We're gonna open up the altars and we're gonna sing, I surrender all. I surrender all. Whether that's giving your life to Christ, I surrender all. Whether it's this prosperity mentality, I surrender all. I surrender all. Jesus, you are good and you are real and you are true. I surrender all to you. You write the story. You write it the way you want to write the story. And if you don't heal me, I love you and I will follow you, Father. If you don't restore what's been broken, if I don't have a good year or a year of harvest, you are still God. You're still good. I love you. Father, please, for those that you are working on, please free them up. For those that need to come forward and say, I give my life to Jesus, please free them up. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Listen, as we sing that song, you can stand. And let me just tell you, if that is you this morning, come on, praise God. They're already coming up. You can stand. And why don't we stand together? Hey, listen, if that is you this morning, I want you to know the kind of church that we have. I promise you, if you come down today and surrender, this whole place is going to explode. Surrender all and follow Jesus.